Are you interested in what the Bible says about the future? In just a moment, we'll be speaking with my guest today, who is one of the foremost experts in the world on Bible prophecy, so don't miss that. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Reidelnik. I'm the academic dean and professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I'm always glad to be with you right here every week at the radio kitchen table for our Bible study across America. If you have questions today, in this first hour, the questions will be focused on Bible prophecy, Israel, and the end times. Normally we talk about everything about the Bible, God, and and spiritual life. Today, first hour, we're going to talk about Bible prophecy, Israel, and the end times. So if you have a question about something other than that, wait for the second hour, and we'll talk about questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. But this hour, Bible prophecy, Israel, and the end times. If you have a question about that, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. Again, the phone number, 877-548-3675. Trisha McMillan is our producer. Courtney Young is handling all things technical. And answering the phones is Charles Coletta. But... Now it's time. Go get yourself a cup of coffee. I have one right here. Get out your Bible. We're going to start our Bible study across America about prophecy. Before we go to go to your questions, let's talk with my guest. Dr. Charlie Dyer is professor at large at Moody Bible Institute. He served for many years as senior vice president and dean of education. He is the Bible teacher on Moody Radio's The Land and the Book. He's an absolute expert on Israel, the Middle East. He's the author of many books and articles. Charles is the author, or Charlie, I've never called him Charles in my life, but Charlie is the author of our current resource, Uh, What Does the Bible Say About the Future? He's also, and this is why I'm so glad he's on the program today, he's my friend. I'm so glad you're joining me on Open Line today. Charlie, welcome. Hey, thank you, Michael. And uh, we do go back a long way. And, and you're right. Uh, if you ever called me Charles, I'd be worried. Cause, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, that's what I've my been mom telling... called me. Yeah, when, when you were in trouble. trouble. Yeah. yeah. When uh, I was, I've been telling listeners the last month about how we met. I bet you don't remember how we met. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, it was, at, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was at the seminary, but uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Well, I was a first-year student at Dallas Seminary. My first semester, I validated a Bible exposition course, which meant I had taken it in Bible college. They didn't make me take it over. But now I had to take an elective. So I took an elective with Dr. Pentecost. Uh, It was called The Kingdom in History and Prophecy. And I walked in there thinking, I know all this stuff. And he's talking about the theocratic kingdom and all these different ways of talking about the kingdom. And I didn't know these terms at all and I'm sitting there and I'm noticing that most of the people in this class are doctoral students and they all understand everything he's saying and I'm lost (laughs) and a first year doctoral student sitting next to me says you're lost aren't you I said yeah I thought I was going to drop the class and you said let's talk afterwards and you kind of explained everything he was talking about and you did that for the first few sessions and that's how we met and uh, I'm still grateful I passed that course uh, because of you so uh, and I'm grateful for having taken it. I love the textbook too, but uh, it was your tutoring that got me through. So, <laughs> well, thank you, and and uh, the start of a good friendship from that point on. Yeah, yeah. Alva J. McLean, do you remember that book? 
Uh, I do. Uh, uh, that was a great book. So anyway, uh, I, I look back at that all the time about uh, your compassion on a first-year Dallas Seminary student who didn't know what in the world was going on. Uh, mediatorial kingdom, theocratic king. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> I, I've only heard about the millennial kingdom. So there we go. Uh, anyway, that was, uh, that was kind of fun when I think back about it. Well, listen, let's, let's get started. Your book, which just came out, uh, I'm, I'm kind of jealous, just to let you know. I finished the 50 Most Important Bible Question book, and I said I was going to write a, a proposal on the 50 Most uh, Important Questions about Bible Prophecy. And uh, the editors at Moody Publishers said, no, we already have the 30 questions being written by Charlie Dyer. And I thought, well, that makes total sense. But boy, uh, you stole my question book. There you go. I'm really glad you're doing it, though. So don't get me you, wrong. You notice I was that. also a little lazy. I only did 30 questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, the, 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 this book, that's our current resource um, for uh, open line listeners if they give a gift of any size. But I, I love this book. It's really simple. It's easy to understand. It's not sensational. I think it's a terrific book. Uh I, I'm wondering, how much interest is there in Bible prophecy today? I, I've talked to people. I say, oh, why don't you have this conference and make it a prophecy conference? And they say, oh, no one's interested in Bible prophecy. What do you find about that? Uh, last weekend, I was at a church in Alabama, of all places, uh, doing a prophecy conference. The final session on Sunday morning, they said, was let's just open it up for question and answer, and we'll give up to 75 minutes uh, we filled the entire 75 minutes. They they did not lack for questions. People want to know oh what the what's the future and what's the Bible say about the future. And when you give simple answers grounded in the Word of God, it, it really mm-hmm. helps them. It opens their their eyes. So that was yeah. if that's a data point, uh, it shows there's mm-hmm. an incredible amount of interest. I I had the same experience. I asked, I suggested a Bible conference, and I was told no one's interested. And then Moody Radio in the Quad Cities last September co-sponsored along with a local church in the Quad Cities and Life and Messiah, a wonderful Jewish ministry based here in Chicago. Uh, they, sp- they all three co-sponsored a prophecy conference. It was standing room only, basically. Uh, 600 people showed up. They closed registration at 600. They had to use closed-circuit TV and alternate rooms to fit everyone in. I thought, wow. And that was for the whole weekend. I thought, if no one's interested in prophecy, where'd these people come from? So yeah. I do think it's it's really true that people care about what the Bible has to say about the future. Because I think it's because the world looks kind of grim, and so they're thinking, well, what does the Bible say about the future? And you know, I think also we live in an age where there is the land of Israel and the reborn state of Israel. And I notice mm-hmm. that your book is not just about Bible prophecy; uh, it's about uh, Israel. And the end times, right? Bible prophecy, Israel, and the end times. Uh, right, because Israel is pretty mind, significant for Bible prophecy, prophecy, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, I was going to say, that's the heart of it. it it's, the, uh, it's the bullseye, the ground zero in prophecy. Uh, to talk about uh, prophecy or end times and not have Israel uh, is an oxymoron, uh, because that's where God's whole focus is going to turn as, the, as we move into the end times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also, the, the tribulation period, People often think it starts with the rapture. I'm going to see if you agree with me or or not about this. Uh, But I believe the tribulation period is when the future false messiah, also known as the beast, also known as the Antichrist, 
when he signs a covenant with Israel, probably a covenant of peace, although it doesn't say what kind of treaty it will be, but when he signs a covenant with Israel, that will initiate the tribulation period. What do you think about that? Uh, I agree. In fact, I, I tell people the, you know, when they deal with the issue of the church going through tribulation, I said, we, we have tribulation. You're in tribulation in the world, but the mm-hmm. tribulation as we talk about it isn't for the church. It's the, uh, it, it's part of Daniel's 70th week, the final week of his 70 groups of seven years of, pro- of uh, prophecy. And that whole period was for your people and your holy city, the Jewish people and Jerusalem. And so that final seven, the final seven years, the tribulation period focuses on that. And as you just said, it begins when that covenant is confirmed with the many for mm-hmm. seven years. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why Jeremiah in Jeremiah 30 calls the uh, tribulation period the time of Jacob's trouble, not the time of the church's mm-hmm. trouble. He didn't know about that. He was thinking about Israel. I think that's so crucial. Uh, and also, you know, here we are living in a day I think there are some people who take for granted that Israel exists, you know, that there's a state of Israel. Uh, I, I was reading in the commentary on Genesis by a guy named Martin Luther. He talked about how there, there were these land promises. He says, we can't take these literally, these promises that God made to Abraham, because that would mean that God will bring the Jewish people back to Israel. And we know that will never happen. And here we are, uh, <laughs> living right. in an age where there is a state of Israel. How, where, where do you see the modern state of Israel? Do you see it in Bible prophecy at all? You know, here's how I say it. Uh, uh, yes, I mean, God brought the, the nation back together uh, let me let me go to a, a totally hypothetical situation. If God were to uh, uh, remove the state of Israel right now, it just means he would bring it back again. But mm-hmm. because there's so many other parts of the puzzle that are coming together, I believe God has brought them back on the stage. The, the curtain hasn't gone up on that final seven-year period. But no. before the curtain goes up, you have to have the uh, the actors on the stage. You have to have the, the setting uh, behind the curtain already. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I think Israel back in the land was God setting that stage uh, for the final seven-year drama that's about to unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think about it. Uh, I, I was talking with a Bible scholar at, a, at another school, and he said, oh, Israel is just a quirk of history. That's all it is. And mm-hmm. all I can think of is in order for that covenant to be signed between that future world dictator and Israel, there has to be a state of Israel. It, yeah, it absolutely. Can't, it can't exist any other way. Well, I've got so many questions about prophecy. It appears that many of you do as well. If you have a question about Bible prophecy, the end times, uh, the reborn state of Israel, anything around those uh, issues, let's take the opportunity we have to speak with uh, renowned Bible prophecy expert and my friend Charlie Dyer. Uh, so stick around. Uh, call us if you have a question, 877 Four eight three six seven five. Don't hesitate. If you have a question about Bible prophecy, now's the time to ask. We're going to be right back again. My guest, Dr. Charlie Dyer, of the Land and the Book, and author of uh, the Bible. What does the Bible say about the future? And we're going to be right back. So don't go away. More questions straight ahead. Welcome back to Open Line. 
My guest today is Dr. Charlie Dyer. He's the author of What Does the Bible Say About the Future? 30 Questions on Bible Prophecy, Israel, and the End Times. As I mentioned before, this is our current resource. So many people have questions about Bible prophecy that I thought this book, this great book written by my friend and really, I think, the foremost Bible prophecy expert in the world today, why not get this book? It is so helpful. It's easy to read. It's grounded in Scripture. It doesn't have silly sensationalism, but really directs you to what the Bible says about the future. And it's yours when you give a gift of any size to Open Line. All you have to do is uh, ask for a copy when you give. We want to send you one just to say thank you. Our phone number is 888. This is uh, for, if you'd like to give a gift, call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember... When you give, ask for, what does the Bible say about the future? Hope your book is doing well, Charlie. I I know people really are interested in it on our end. Uh, Did you take these questions from the questions people send in or call in on the land in the book, or they were just kind of random questions? I, I guess I'm wondering where you got them from and what your most common question you get about Bible. Yeah, actually, these are... Well, Michael, these were the 30 most common questions about prophecy that were asked on the Land in the Book program over the past 10 years. You know, wow. as you know, questions kind of recycle. You, you see questions over and over again. And so I just tried to pick up the ones that uh, just seem to, to be coming back and back, which tells you people are interested. They want to know the answers to those questions. And uh, we, we should decide to pick the 30 and, and uh, just provide simple answers for those. Is there a number one of those 30? Well, I think the the main uh, question that comes back again and again is, uh, are we in the end times? You know, is is this the mm-hmm. last days? Uh, is this the uh, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy right now? Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, people look at the the news and it, it scares them, and they want to know, is this something that God has talked about? Yeah, you know, I think that's what our first caller uh, wants to ask mm-hmm. about. So, right. uh, Greg, who's listening on the road in Ohio, welcome to Open Line. How can we help you today? Oh, hi. How are you guys doing? Uh, great. great. Thanks. Uh, Go ahead with your question, Greg. Oh, you okay. Your... So with the events yeah. of like some of the book of Revelations unfolding in front of us, like how long do you think it is until they rise up and like the end times actually does happen and to its fullness? Well, do you think the events of Revelation are happening in front of us, uh, Charlie? And yes. what, where are we in the end time uh, program? Yeah, I, I would probably disagree with Greg just slightly and say, you know, the old song, signs of the times are everywhere. I, well, I'm not sure if the uh, fulfillment is actually happening today. I, I don't see that. But uh, I, I remember what Jesus said, uh, when you see the tree turning green, you know summer's coming. And uh, mm-hmm. as we look at the events, we, what, we're, what we're seeing, I think, is God setting the stage. So we know there has to be a revived Roman Empire as part of the end times. And we're seeing in Europe uh, this idea to try and unify, and yet they're like iron mixed with clay. They can't quite get it together. Uh, the Bible says that will be there. We, we mm. know that uh, Israel has to be back in the land to make a covenant with the, uh, uh, this future Antichrist. And since 1948, that's been true. Uh, I personally think that uh, Babylon plays a role in Iraq, and uh, certainly Saddam Hussein tried to start rebuilding it. And we're seeing uh, in that whole area that uh, somebody needs to come along and find something that will unify the people, and they're probably going to go back to where Hussein was. But all these pieces are fitting together, but we're not there yet. It's like, uh, as I used the illustration earlier, 
Uh, we're seeing the stage and we're hearing the squeak of the furniture being pushed into place, but the curtain hasn't gone up and the, the next event on God's timeline is the removal of the church from the earth. And then God will mm-hmm. begin dealing with Israel again in that unique and special way uh, to, to uh, start that final seven year period that leads to the return of Jesus. You know, uh, we both had the a same prophetic teacher, I think, with several of the same ones. Dr. Wolverd used to say the only event that he saw that really fits with a preparation for the end of days that he could say, yes, this is something that set it up, was the rebirth of Israel so that that future covenant can be signed. And so, mm-hmm. and, and he he's agreed with you. He said, well, if Israel is uh, driven from the land again, God will bring them back. But he... He was really strong about the rebirth of Israel being the only sign of the end of days. Uh, and it's, a, it's such a dramatic thing, isn't it? Yeah, after 2,000 years uh, for Jewish people to have sovereignty yeah. once again in their own land, that's mm. that's kind of a, a shocking thing because no one believed it could happen. Even most Jewish people didn't believe it could happen until the Messiah came. And yet the scriptures seem to say that before the Messiah returns, that that. Uh, the, the people would be in the land. Uh, there was one rabbi in the 19th century who said, in order for the Messiah to, to return to the Jewish people in the land of Israel, there must be Jewish people in the land of Israel. So he, he got it right, but most did not. Uh, anyway, uh, I hope that helps. We're going to talk next with uh, Blair in Romeoville, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Blair. How can we help you? Oh, thank you there, uh, Michael and Charlie. It's def- definitely a pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, I just have a, a question. I believe you, you might have talked about this in the past. Uh, Hebrews 1, um, 1 and 2, uh, that talked about uh, God speaking to the prophets, uh, speaking through the mm-hmm. prophets. Uh, now in the last days he's spoken, you know, by his son. My question is, is the, uh, we say the office of prophets, is that something that's, um, uh, that we don't have anymore, and now God is, of course, speaking through His Word. Um, or is the prophets fulfilled? Um, I'm just trying to get a clear understanding of those two verses. Okay, is I think what he's asking is, uh, was the Lord Jesus the very last prophet? Yeah, and in in that case, yeah. I, I would say uh, uh, no. Uh, but here's why: uh, in Joel chapter two, you know, he talks about the uh, the day of the Lord, the day that still future that's going to come. And he says, uh, it'll be a time when your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. So I, I, uh, what I'd say is for, for the current age, we've ha- we have all the revelation we need for this age. Uh, when the church is removed from the earth during the uh, tribulation, during that future end time period, uh, God's going to provide some additional revelation at that time, uh, at least according to Joel 2, uh, and that's around uh, verse 28. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there, there can be prophecy again. There, there, the gift of prophecy can be restored, or God's going to use it again. But, uh, but for this current age, I, I know there are people who claim to be prophets, but I don't see them functioning in the way that God did before, with direct revelation from God for specific uh, uh, purposes and with 100% fulfillment of any predictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you uh, about today. You know, it says in this verse. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. It doesn't say that there are no further prophets after him. It's just that we have to listen. You know, the, the, 
the gospel, in my opinion, is by grace through faith in the revealed will of God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that God has revealed his son. We have to have faith in him by grace through faith in him, in the Lord Jesus, uh, that he died for us and rose again. That's how we're saved. So that's the message of the book of Hebrews. But there are even prophets in the first century, you know, Agabus yeah. in the book of Acts, uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the Ephesians 2.20 says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It seems to have been a foundational gift for the church. Uh, I don't believe that there are any today. There are people who say, oh, well, I, I give exhortations. Well, yeah, they're exhortations, but they're not words from God, which is what a prophet says. And when now let, this is a, my follow up question when the, those and I agree with you about Joel. 228 through 32 being specifically about the revival of revelation through uh, prophets and visions, prophecies and visions in the tribulation period, in the future period. But that doesn't mean we'll add to the Bible. That stuff won't be inscripturated. That's just during the tribulation there'll be people with that message, don't you think? I I agree completely. That's what they're going to be providing, I think, uh, predictions much like Elijah and Elisha did where um, uh, you know as, as the Antichrist did and Satan's trying to uh, wipe out believers the remaining believers you know Jewish and Gentile on earth uh, they'll be getting revelation in terms of where to go what to do how to respond uh, and it'll be specific words for that specific time yeah yeah but it won't be in scripture it won't go into the Bible right the Bible is finished the canon is closed which I'm really grateful for. So anyway, uh, hope that helps a lot, Blair. We're going to talk with Elizabeth in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Open Line, Elizabeth. How can we help you? Thank you, you, Dr. Rydell, Nick. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a blessing to speak to you today. And um, I just want to thank you for giving me this gracious moment. I have a 13-year-old grandson, um, who I have been trying to, well, well, working with him uh, from a grandmotherly perspective, nurturing his um, his faith and um, reading the word with him when I go to visit with him, you know, special occasions, praying over him and explaining to him um, different passages and um, of encouragement. So now that he's gone off to junior high school, he, when he was in elementary school, no problem. Junior high school, he comes back and he says, um, my friend John, for instance, says he doesn't believe in God. Um, he says, who created God? And then he says, uh, well, he's asking these types of questions, and I'm answering them through the Word. But now, how can I explain to him, and how can parents and grandparents explain to young people today in this current age of time about the book of Revelation? Um, and so that it's not fearful for them, but hopeful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's hopeful, my question. Yeah. How can we nurture our young people to have a clear understanding? And where can I go to some passages in Scripture for, say, a, a teen to explain to them, or any, uh, even a book that I could uh, mm-hmm. share with him, read with him, walk through with him, to nurture, okay. continue nurturing his faith? Thanks, thanks. Go ahead, Charlie. We only have about a minute here, so... Yeah, uh, well, and actually, let me skip from Revelation, though, to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. I think it would be very helpful for, for uh, you to say to him, let me tell you what God predicted the, the, the time's going to be like at the end. And, and uh, as you read Paul's uh, message there to, second, to, to Timothy, uh, it really is a frightening picture. 
But then Paul, the thing that Paul focuses on in 2 Timothy 3 and 4 is the Word of God. And just pointing out, in fact, you can circle how many times he talks about the Word of God, the, mm-hmm. its inspiration, its power. Uh, it's what the man of God needs to be thoroughly equipped. Uh, so say, look, these are tough times, and it's going to get worse. But here's what God gave, and here's why it's so important to know the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think the book of Revelation is the most hopeful book there is, because it tells us, mm-hmm. uh, in the end, God wins. <laughs> that there'll be all this opposition, there'll be all this attempt to scare us. Uh, but God is the one who wins. Uh, I think that's that's so crucial. I once read a story in the news about a woman whose two parachutes, she was skydiving, the two parachutes didn't open and she crashed. She landed in a parking lot. She survived. Turns out she was pregnant, they found out. She later gave birth. Uh, the the uh, pre-born baby survived as well. And then uh, she kept watching the video of it. And someone said to her, how can you watch this? It was such a terrible thing. And she said, I know how it ends, and it gives me hope. And I think of that when I read the book of Revelation. It doesn't scare me. It gives me hope because I know who wins. Uh, it's the Lord Jesus. He's the king, and uh, King Jesus wins. And so to me, I think it's the most hopeful book. Uh, and I'm never, I'm never frightened when I read it. How about you, Charlie? Uh, exactly the same. It is interesting how it gets to the end and, and uh, talks about uh, the blessing for us as well. Yeah, exactly. It's a blessing even to read it. So, well, we've got some mailbag questions people sent in about prophecy. Trish is going to join us and bring those. Uh, you're listening to Michael Rydelic. That's me and Charlie Dyer, my guest, here on Open Line. Stay with us. We're coming right back. today, Charlie Dyer. Trish McMillan will be with us in just a moment. But uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to mention, I think this is true of Charlie as well as me. Uh, We love it when we do radio meetings. I know Charlie goes out and speaks to the audience of The Land and the Book. I go out, speak to open line listeners and have an opportunity to meet our listeners. I love it when we do a live program with an audience. And the the reason I like that so much is I get to meet people and I appreciate them so much. And also a lot of people come up and they talk about being kitchen table partners, people who give monthly to open line so we can be on the air weekly. And I so appreciate their generosity and their, their graciousness. I also appreciate uh, that there are people who would like to become kitchen table partners. If you're one of those, if you listen regularly and open line is an encouragement to you, uh, Would you consider becoming a kitchen table partner? When you do, every other week, I'll send you a Bible study moment. That's an audio Bible study designed exclusively for our kitchen table partners. If you become a kitchen table partner today, you can do it by calling 888-644-7122 or sign up online at openlineradio.org. And here's Trisha McMillan, the producer of Open Line, with the questions that you have sent in. Hey, Trisha, did anyone send in any prophecy questions? Yes. And we've had a couple more come in this morning. Oh, good. Well, they've been good. listening. So, so, yeah, I'm loaded let's... up with prophecy questions. <laughs> okay, let's go. There All we right. go. All right. We have um, a couple questions about Matthew 24. I'm trying to flip there real quick. Um, 
Okay, Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Go ahead with the question. I'll flip there, too. Okay. Um, the verse is Matthew 24, 34. It says, Truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Charlotte wants to know what um, what, what generation? Mean? What is meant by that yeah. statement? I mean, yeah. it sounds on yeah. the surface like the people he's talking to won't die before all of this happens, but that's not what happened. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Charlie, how do you want to explain that this generation? Well, Are you stymied yeah, by that? Like, I have a feeling we're, we're both going to come out and say, we, we hold the same opinion on this. I, <laughs> yeah, I take exactly. That to be, uh, yeah, I take it to be the generation that's around with when all the things he was describing up to that point start taking place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as yeah. bad as it's going to be, as terrible as the persecution, they're still going to be around. Uh, they're not going to be wiped out before these things happen. Yeah, he's talking about the, the fig tree that this is the sign and when you see all these things recognize that he's near he's at the door I assure you this generation meaning the generation that sees these things they are the ones that uh, won't pass away until all these things take place it's not talking about the generation hearing the words of the Lord Jesus it's talking about the generation that see these signs coming to fruition that's what that's what you're saying too right Charlie yeah yes yep yeah that's it Okay. Okay. All right. And so another one that kind of parallels the Matthew 24, not that verse, but this passage um, in Luke 17:31, when it talks about uh, two will be walking down a road, one is taken, one is left. Is this a reference to a midweek um, pre-trib rapture? A, mi- a mid-trib rapture. A mid-trib, yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. Mid-trib rapture, uh, um, uh, yeah, that would parallel well, Matthew 24. Well, I, I've only read the Gospel of Luke once, so I'm going <laughs> to defer that question to Charlie Dyer. <laughs> well, and it's interesting I, that they went to the Luke passage, but it, it's interesting in that section, he he does talk about the uh, uh, those on the roof of the house, don't go inside. That's the middle of the tribulation period, that verse, uh, and mm-hmm. it parallels what Matthew says. But then I think he, he's going on to the end of the, the, end of the time and saying... Uh, there two people are going to be around one's taken and the one taken is taken in this case in judgment not the rapture mm-hmm. uh they're being taken away uh when jesus comes and takes uh those who are uh, the the, uh, the the unsaved the unbelievers at that time takes them away and the ones who are remaining are the ones remaining to go into the kingdom uh at his second coming yeah by the way i think that let's jump from there one of the great arguments for a pre-tribulational rapture is that there had to be people to populate the millennial kingdom. And if the resurrection happens and everyone, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, are all resurrected at the return of Jesus, then who will enter the millennial kingdom and marry and populate it and do all that? Uh, We need uh, the nations and Israel who believe at the return of Jesus to enter the kingdom. So uh, that's an argument, I think, for the pre-tribulational rapture. Uh, hmm. Well, related uh, to that, Nada in Ontario listens on the website and was looking at Revelation 21.1, where John describes the new heavens and new earth, and she wants to know who's going to live on the earth and who's going to live in the heavens at the end. What do you think, Charlie? Well, I take the New Jerusalem. Uh, well, I say this. There's not enough information for me to be able to say definitively where it is, but I, the New Jerusalem... I think it's over the over the earth during the millennium. It may come down on earth during the uh, 
the new heavens and new earth. But uh, we have a, we're we're living in the new heavens and new earth. But I think God has something for us to do, and I I believe that uh, we're not confined to the New Jerusalem; that we'll have access to the new heavens and new earth, uh, and uh, and and be able to to uh, come and go from the New Jerusalem. But um, we're the, the the only people who are alive at that time are believers. Uh, mm-hmm. resurrected believers, Old and New Testament saints in the new heavens and new earth. And uh, we'll, we'll yeah. have both. My, my, I, I figure my floor is if it's 1,500 miles high, my, my, I want to be up about 1,000 miles, get a nice yeah. view, uh, <laughs> but then be able to, to leave and, and walk around and see what's there. Yeah, and you know, maybe make sure that we have elevators is what I'm kind of hoping. Uh, but the, the thing that I think is important when we look at the new heavens and new earth, this is so clearly... Uh, a reference back to Genesis 1 where God created the heavens mm-hmm. and the earth. This is going to be a new creation, either a, a, a sort of a recreation. I don't know which it's going to be. I think of Yankee Stadium. In uh, in 1970, about the house that Ruth built was taken down to the foundations and rebuilt entirely. Uh, but it was the same location, same materials, basically, new creation. Uh, but it it was a rebuilt stadium. Uh, just about uh, 10 years ago, they rebuilt Yankee Stadium across the street, and it's entirely new, uh, not at all related to the original one. People ask me, what will the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation be? It'll either be like the one in 1970 where it's renovated, or it will be entirely new. And you know, I'm going to wait to see what it becomes, but it's going to be a new creation. We'll all have access to everything, the new Jerusalem, the whole world, uh, but it's going to be a great new world that God rebuilds. And only mm-hmm. believers will be there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Finally, the ultimate plan that God had at the beginning will be fulfilled. Okay. Paradise regained. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, question well, question okay. from David in North Carolina. Listens on the mobile app. He's looking at 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, which says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. It seems as though to David that Paul is saying those who've heard the gospel but rejected it will go through the tribulation. God sends a powerful delusion. They're all condemned. Does this mean that only Jewish people have the opportunity to be saved during the tribulation and all Gentiles who heard the gospel and rejected it will not be able to be saved during the tribulation? We agree again. I think so. Uh, well, Revelation 7, thankfully, after the 144,000 are chosen, you have the innumerable hosts from every uh, language, people, nation. There are going to be Gentiles coming to faith during the tribulation period. Uh, that's the good news. Uh, in this particular case, I, I think I take this at face, face value. This is the ultimate fake news for the tribulation period. <laughs> Satan's going to bring every delusion he can uh, to trick people. And those who have... Uh, uh, not believed and uh, delighted in wickedness uh, are going, not going to have a second chance. Now, here's the key. Uh, when do we know that someone has definitely rejected the gospel? I heard the gospel, I'm sure, growing up multiple times, and yet I can't remember a single time hearing it. But I sat under people who preached it, 
Uh, but I do remember the one time when I heard it and it made sense and I had to make a decision and I chose to accept Christ as my savior. Uh, but if someone has heard the gospel and understood it and truly said, no, I, I choose to reject that, this verse seems to say they don't have an opportunity. They're going to believe a lie that's brought uh, on this world by Satan, the Antichrist, and God's going to allow it to happen. Uh, but since I can't see into someone's heart, I never know when that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, th- I think that's the problem that people have. They think that people who didn't believe before the tribulation, that they they reject it. But the, the truth of it is, you don't know when that full final full rejection happens. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think about myself before I came to the Lord. People, the day I came to faith, I was the most unlikely person to ever believe. I was so hostile, people thought. And the day I came to the Lord, people were so shocked because they didn't know what God was doing in my heart. I was reacting with hostility and anger while God was kind of pressing me on my heart that this is true. And so I think that that's one of the things that that we see. Uh, So I think we have to... There will be people who apparently didn't believe before the tribulation, both Jews and Gentiles, who will after the tribulation become followers of Jesus. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's really important to know. Hey, we're going to take a break here. When we come back. I've got a question, my question for Charlie Dyer. Uh, and uh, hope you are listening. You can have your question uh, when you, we come back. Uh, you're listening to Open Line with me, Michael Rydelnik. That was Trisha McMillan, our producer. And Charlie Dyer is my guest. He's an expert on Bible prophecy. And boy, have we learned a lot about Bible prophecy this hour. Stick with us. We're not going anywhere. Stay right there. We're coming back. Michael Rydelnik here on Open Line. My guest is Charlie Dyer. Uh, The reason, Charlie, I wanted Charlie on the program is uh, that's our current resource. He wrote it. It's called What Does the Bible Say About the Future? It's a great book 30 questions about bible prophecy if you'd like to get a copy uh give a gift of any size we want to say thank you we'll send you a copy you can call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org uh i do want to mention something else you know i I don't know if charlie knows this but my mom actually survived the lodge ghetto and then the gross rosen concentration camp my dad mm. survived the camps and ghettos too, but my mom specifically, she was an RN and she worked as a nurse in the Lodge Ghetto Infirmary. And the that infirmary was housed. They t- the, they took it over. It was actually the Chosen People Ministries Outreach Center building that existed there before the Holocaust. And many Jewish people had come to faith through that ministry in Lodge, Poland. And now Chosen People Ministries, one of our underwriters, is offering a book to remind us of God's activity during the Holocaust. There was a lot of things he was doing uh, in that period of time. The book is called Never Again, The Holocaust Remember. It's a collection of stories from the Chosen People Ministries archives detailing the courage, the bravery, the grace found in the midst of this unspeakable tragedy of the Holocaust. And this book reminds us that the Lord was still at work during those difficult days. And he encourages us, this book does, it encourages us to stand up for the Jewish people, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and oppose the growing anti-Semitism of today. If you'd like a free copy of Never Again, all you have to do is go to our website, openlineradio.org, scroll down, 
you'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. You'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of Never Again, The Holocaust Remembered. Okay, Charlie, I have a question. Back in the day, uh, (laughs) back in the day, I used to think that uh, there is this mystery Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. When I was a student, that's what I went to seminary believing, uh, that there was this mystery Babylon, and uh, one was a uh, like a business Babylon, the other was a religious Babylon, and it wasn't necessarily based in Babylon. It's just symbolic for corruption. And that's how I understood Revelation 17 and 18. Then I read two journal articles by you where you make the case for it to be literal Babylon. And you you convinced me you're linking it to Jeremiah 50 and 51 was terrific, and it, it really convinced me. But here's my question. How can this be? How will this play out? What do you think is going to happen, that there will be a revival of Babylon? Well, I think Saddam Hussein gave a template to show how it could happen. Uh, obviously, when he was uh, eliminated, that uh, fell by the wayside. But you notice... Iraq has incredible oil wealth. The, the, the Middle East has incredible oil wealth, and we're seeing right now how dependent Europe and the rest of the world can be on the oil and gas from the Middle East. Uh, I think what we're going to see is someone comes along and says, we, we need to unite. You have the Sunnis, you have Shiites, you have these different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, but Saddam Hussein said the one thing that can unite them is Babylon. It, he pointed it uh, out as the great Iraqi civilization of the past, Nebuchadnezzar, this great leader, and he, and he said uh, years ago, who's the only Arab who ever defeated the Jews on the land of Israel, or on the land of Canaan, he called it. He said it was Nebuchadnezzar the Iraqi. And so Babylon, building it, became his, uni- unifi- uh, his became way to unify uh, the, the Shiites and the Sunnis uh, within Iraq uh, around this great history that they had. And I think someone's going to come along and say, you know, we, we have the same problem. We have all these little countries. We all seem to be at war. Um, let's, let's unite them together. Let's... Uh, bring our oil wealth together and create a, a common capital and let's pick Babylon. And the day that they announce that it's going to become the capital and they begin pouring that wealth into it that's described in Revelation 17, I think at that point it's fulfilled and it can happen very quickly as we see from some other cities that have come literally rising out of the sand in the uh, in that mm-hmm. part of the world. Yeah, and you know, uh, there's going to be great wealth there. Right now, Iraq has the second most explored oil reserves in the Middle East, in the world, actually. But that doesn't even deal with the unexplored oil reserves. There's much more that they haven't examined yet. So uh, I'm not surprised that this description of the future of Iraq and Babylon is it being very wealthy. Uh, It's going to be wealthy, just like we think of some of the other uh, Gulf countries. Uh, Don't you think about that? I, I do. And I think they could become yeah. the dominant of the Gulf countries, uh, certainly following uh, the, the Battle of Gog and Magog, which eliminates, I believe, Russia and some of its uh, oil wealth and uh, the Iranians, the Iranians and their mm-hmm. oil wealth. Uh, somebody's going to rise up to fill that vacuum. And I think that's when Iraq could uh, come to the fore mm-hmm. and Babylon. Now, when you see that invasion in Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, is, it, is it Moscow coming down? Where's it, who are the nations that are going to invade in Ezekiel 38 and 39, according to you? Well, when I put the, uh, you know, the, the Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Togarma on a map, I, I see Turkey being part of it. I see uh, the area north, uh, Ukraine could be part of it, but certainly the area just to the east of Ukraine, which Russia and some of the stand republics uh, now control. 
uh, but it talks about the leader being the one from that far north. So I, I tend to say it's it's Russia, uh, but uh, you know the other allies that are with him include Turkey and Persia is dominant, but then also Libya and uh, Ethiopia or, or Sudan, south of uh, Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it looks to me like it's going to be primarily the, what comes from the former Soviet Union are the stand countries. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it looks like it might very well be a, a well, of course we don't know, but they're mostly Muslim countries. It looks like a Muslim uh, they are. invasion. Yeah, uh, that's uh, hey, we amazing. found something that we actually could slightly disagree with again. Slightly, Mike, uh, slightly, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but not much. Yeah. <laughs> but not, but no, you're exactly right. Yeah, uh, let, let's. Uh, we've got Wes here, and he's got a question, but I'm not going to put him on the air because I have to ask it quicker than he does because we only have about a minute. I want your answer for this. What do you say about the 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 best? Re- what's the best response to pastors and scholars who have begun to uh, treat the Bible in a more figurative way about prophecy, and they've become amillennial? What's the best answer that you have for that? first coming of Jesus. Uh, how did God fulfill prophecies related to the first coming of Jesus? He fulfilled them literally. He rode in on a mm-hmm. colt, the full of a donkey, was born in Bethlehem. Uh, all the details. Well, if God fulfilled those literally, then what what right do we have to say he won't fulfill the ones related to the second coming of Jesus in the same way? And indeed, it's amazing when you go all the way across the Bible from Daniel to uh, Matthew to Revelation, they all say the same thing. It, it keeps repeating the same message we ought to take it at face value in a literal fashion mm-hmm. yeah uh the new testament i don't think contradicts at all what the old testament promises i was talking with walt kaiser about that he was given a paper about uh a new testament topic and i said uh dr kaiser i'm so surprised you're doing a a new testament because he's such a great old testament scholar mm-hmm. i said uh i'm so surprised you're doing a new testament lecture and his response was well, I love the New Testament. It reminds me so much of the old. So I love that. So uh, anyway, thank you, Charlie. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for writing this wonderful book. And uh, hope other people see you have a new book about Israel. And we're going to post that on our uh, Facebook page so people can see that about seeing the land of Israel. And uh, please come again. I hope you will. Uh, thank you, and, Michael. It was fun being yeah, with you. Always great to be with you. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. It's got all sorts of links that you're looking for, including how to get our current Bible study resource, how to become a kitchen table partner, links to my personal webpage and my blog there. Second hour of Open Line is coming up straight ahead with questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Open Line with Dr. Michael Ray Donnick is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.